Thanks for listening and welcome to the Bridges Community Church Podcast. Christ alone offers freedom, but we often keep ourselves locked up by trying to add on to His gift, and we further tighten the chains. Christ alone offers freedom to step outside the gates of our prisons and learn to experience life on the outside. Listen in as we check out our current series on the New Testament book of Galatians titled Life on the Outside with today's teaching pastor, Ken Jones. Good morning. Great, great. Um, some of you were here on Friday. Anybody here? Just curious. Anybody here? A few of you? A few hands? Okay, good. Um, hopefully you had a good time. And um, I asked first service this, so I won't trick you too much. I won't give you a trivia question. That's probably too hard. But if there's a place I could have been on, not Friday, because I'm, I'm glad I was here. Sunday I'm here. So if I had money, I could just jet around the world. There's a place I'd like to be on Saturday. And you'll never know where that's going to be. In Annapolis, Maryland, November 1st, 2014. Yesterday, I wish I was there. Now, of course, you're probably wondering, was there a football game there? What's going on there? They just celebrated 150 years of freedom. See, when Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation took effect on January 1st, 1863, it ended slavery for all states that were in rebellion against the U.S. Maryland at the time was not originally part of that because they were in the Union. So nearly two years later, on November 1st, 1864, Maryland became, quote unquote, a free state when their General Assembly wrote a new constitution making slavery illegal. Now that's something to cheer about, right? I mean, it's something that we take for granted, I know. And this whole week they've been having celebrations and get-togethers and get-togethers and they've been doing all these different things, parties and just celebrating 150 years of freedom. Something that you and I probably take for granted. I mean, at least I know I do. Um, those of you who know me know I got a new pair of glasses. And some of you exaggerate the truth so much, but I love you anyways. Someone came up to me and said, um, I look 20 years younger. No, 15 was 15 years younger or something like that. I was like, come on. But okay, I'll take that. So I have with me my old glasses. And so I want to use this as an illustration so I have these old glasses, which I've been wearing probably for two or three years. And um, so I'll take these off. And I'm just looking at the, the front row here. I kid you not, everyone is blurry. They're dirty. They're scratched. It's hazy. I cannot even see. It. I mean, I can see who, there's people up in the front, but I, I have no idea if my sons were even up there. I, I cannot see. And I've been wearing these for two or three years. And I've been driving with them. No, okay. (laughs) That explains them. Okay. But now having gotten a new pair of glasses, new prescription, I can see. I am liberated. There's no dust. There's no scratches. It's not, it's just, I can't explain how much of a difference this is. And you think, well, that's so obvious. Get new glasses. 
Yes. And now that I've experienced these new glasses, this new eyesight, and I can see up in the top around, I can drive better, I have depth perception. Why would I ever go back to these? I mean, it doesn't make sense. If I have this great vision, freedom now, from the scratches and this bad, you know, outdated, why would I ever go back to that? But I think that's a good illustration of what we want to say here in Galatians is, why do we still feel trapped when we are free in Christ? I need to apologize. You don't have any blanks to fill in. Just pretend you don't take notes, I guess, on the side. In fact, the blanks are already filled in for you. <laughs> um, it's not an insult. I know you can fill in blanks. You do it well every week. There's, anyways. But that's the question I have. Why do we still feel trapped when we are free in Christ? Why do we go back to these old glasses? We have the freedom to see with these new glasses. Throughout the sermon, I'm going to have you pause just to reflect, just to slow down. We're in Galatians chapter 5. If you're using your pew Bibles that are provided for you, it's on page 974. I'll read the text as we go through the sermon, but it's on 974 in case you want to follow. Chapter 5, verse 1 says this. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not again, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And so here, Did Christ come to die on the cross for our sins? Absolutely. Did Jesus come to reconcile us to the Father? Yes. Did Christ come so we might have spiritual intimacy? You know, check all these boxes. But in Galatians, we're given another reason. And it's a reason that should cause us to have not just 150 years of celebration, but since Christ came, 2,000 years of celebration. He came so that you and I would be free from our bondage. We're slaves to sin. Two decisions. We can either sin or sin more. We couldn't liberate ourselves. We needed someone to set us free, someone outside of ourselves. And that's what Christ did. Romans chapter 6 talks about the power of sin has been broken by Jesus Christ. Pastor Nate next week will talk about life in the Spirit in Galatians. And throughout the book of Galatians, we've talked about how the Spirit has come. We're the temple of God, and the Spirit of God dwells in us. And this Spirit, His presence and power helps to liberate us from our bondage. And here in this text, it says it very clear. We're to do two things. One, stand firm. We're exhorted to stand firm. We must be active in this Christian life. We must be strong in the midst of trials, hardships, And yes, even great loss. We're not only just to stand firm, but it says, on the other hand, to not to submit again, not to submit to former our former slave or former bondage. We need to break free from a pattern. It's really a question of lordship. We just sang a song here, and the words were, "I surrender all to you." All to you. That's really a question. So Christ has set us free. The law of sin and, and sin has been broken. The power of sin has been broken. We know that the Spirit has, takes residence in our heart. But yet, 
we're still wearing these old glasses. So let's get more personal. What is your struggle? Again, throughout the service, I'm going to slow it down to have us think. We won't go through every one, but you can read them for yourself. Some of them jump out at you, and you're like, wow, that's mine. Here's one I, gosh, I'm struggling with this one. Or here's another one that maybe three years ago, wow, by the power of Christ and the power of the Spirit and accountability, I found some victory with this. Praise the Lord for that. So, and this is not an exhaustive list. I just listed a few of these. But look at that list. Sexual immorality. Is your job and career an idol? Envy. It's so easy to compare myself with my neighbor, my friends, how much money someone makes, what kind of car they drive, how big their home is, um, relationships, uh, depression. Some of us just um, put way too much effort and time and money in how we look. Appearance, anger. Food's a struggle for me. All these, if I look at them to a different extent, they're struggles for mine. And I think if we're honest with each other, you'd say to a lesser degree, this one I struggle with, or this one's higher, or this one's lower. They're on different degrees. Pride, ego, bitterness, drugs, alcohol, materialism. So I want to give you just, you know, 30 seconds, 45 seconds. I said with time to slow down. I want you to take a moment right now this list or your list of your own, what are you struggling with right now? What sin or pattern or behavior has been hard for you? I want you to take time right now in the silence of your heart to cry out to God. I want you to be honest. If you've got to confess this sin, confess it to God. And I'll close in about 45 seconds. So this time, like that words, and I, I'm desperate without you. And I, how about we, were lost without you. Go to the Lord and have some time with him right now. Lord, just on behalf of for all of us, I know that we've been liberated. We have freedom from our bondage to sin. And yet we still struggle from time to time. Lord, my prayer for all of us, my prayer for all of us, is that we'd stand firm in our faith, to be active and strong. And instead of submitting to these former bondage behavior, behaviors, patterns, I pray that we'd submit to you. And Lord, it's so true that we are desperate without you, that we are lost without you. And we ask, we ask for the power of your spirit, your Holy Spirit, to change and transform our lives. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.
So as we move from the freedom from bondage, we reach the second main point, is that we have the freedom from the law or good works, verses 2 to 6. He says this in verse 3 and 4. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. Now, because this word circumcision appears throughout Galatians and Colossians and Romans as well, in our culture, we probably look at this word and we think, you know, I can't really relate to it as well. Why, why does Paul talk about it so much? And some of you understand, but maybe not everyone. So I just want to unpack it a little. See, the of male on the eighth day, he was to be circumcised. And it was an outward sign, an outward identity marker, if you will, that said that he belonged as a child of God, as a child of Abraham. He was a follower of God. And as a as circumcision for the, on the eighth day for male, that identified him, okay? And that was not some small thing. Now, now, again, it gets lost in the, in the quote, translates in the sense, in the, in the years, and the cultures, but that's why Paul talks about it so much. It was so important to have this right, right, that every male who's born of a Jew would be circumcised on the eighth day. It wasn't, well, maybe we should. Are there medical reasons? Are there health? No, it wasn't like that. This was a, an identity, a physical marker. And so there's 612 laws in the Old Testament. And you're thinking, why does Paul just keep choosing this one? He keep, why does he choose honor your father and mother? Why does he choose do not uh, commit adultery, don't murder? I mean, he could choose any of them, right? But why does he choose this one? Because it's an identity marker. It's an identity marker, and it told them that they belong to God. They were Jews, and they were not Gentiles. And so he's saying, if you accept circumcision, that's basically saying, if you follow the law. All these commandments, 612 of them. And he says, if we read this passage, that Christ is of no advantage for you. In other words, what Paul is saying this, you either have the whole of Christ and the grace of God, or nothing. You know, you don't get 40% good works, 60% 60% of the cross, 30% good works, and 70%, and you, you get what I'm trying to say. He's saying, if you want to say and live as if your good works approve you to God, and that you're saved because you're a good person, which, which kind of makes sense, in a, right? Everything else we do, we work for, right? It kind of makes sense in that way. If you're doing that, he's saying, then Christ is of no advantage. We even have Christ in your life. And in fact, if you do one law, you might as well do them all, right? Because Christ is of no value, he's saying. In fact, verse, verse 4 and following says this. You are severed from Christ. In other words, if you follow the law, if you follow your good works to think, your good works are going to approve you to God, that I can stand in for him a holy God because I'm a good person, he says, you, can are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law and good works, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. So if we accept circumcision, this is what's happened. Christ is of no advantage. We're obligated to keep the law. If you want to be justified by the law or good works, you're severed from Christ. You've fallen from grace. Perhaps an illustration would help. 
Imagine yourself hanging, or I should say dangling, but hanging on a rope, and you're a rock climber, okay? And you're climbing up to the top. You're pulling yourself up, you're pulling yourself up, you're pulling yourself up. What happens? Out of the blue, someone shows up on the top. You're wondering, you know, who, who? and all of a sudden, this guy or this female pulls out a knife, looks down at you, you know, you're, you're, you're there, you're stuck. What's going on here? And he just looks at you, looks down at you, gets the knife out. And with your lifeline, starts going like this, severing the rope, severing the rope. And you're crying out, what are you doing? What are you, what are, what are you creating? And he's just looking down at you, severing the rope, severing the rope until it cuts, it falls, and all of a sudden, you fall to your death. I know that's a graphic illustration, but that's how serious Paul is. He's saying, if you want to say your good works save you, then guess what? You don't need Christ. None of this 80, 20, 40, 60, none of that. 90, 70, 30. If you're going to climb up, if you're going to climb up and use this rope of good works, you might as well sever it. You mean to sever yourself in the grace of, grace of God. You might as well because it can't help you. Think about that. On the other hand, you and I, when we climb up and we're holding on, it's because the grace of God holds us. It's because it's not our own good works, but it's the grace of God that saves us. So we follow Christ. The Holy Spirit imparts to us by faith. And notice it says this, that we have a hope of righteousness. See before, if we just do good works, our righteousness is like filthy garments, Isaiah says. But here, because of Christ, we actually have hope. We have hope of righteousness because the good works can't make us righteous. In fact, Paul sums it up this way. Whether you're circumcised or uncircumcised, it does not count for anything. In other words, your identity marker as a Jew, you're circumcised. You, yes, I'm circumcised. I'm a child of Abraham. I can stand in that. Nope. Well, what about the people who aren't circumcised? Well, maybe I stand in my money. Yeah, I got a lot of money. I got a good family. I got a good reputation, good social status. I can stand in that. He says, nope. Whether you're circumcised or uncircumcised, it doesn't count. So what does count, Paul? Only faith through love. That's a beautiful statement that he'll wrap up at the end of this chapter. So let me just leave it there for a moment. Before, you were commanded to love. Now, we still exhorted to love but you did it because you felt like you had to do it. But now the Spirit has taken residence in you. You're free to love. Because the Spirit moves you to love. Moves you to compassion. Moves you to reach out. You don't do it because you feel guilty. You don't do it because you have to. But because you're a new creature in Christ. Because you've been let, set free from the law. You've been set free from the bondage so you can serve other people. But the third point is not just those two freedoms. But freedom from the false gospels. Verse 7 and 8 and following. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? So in the past, these Galatians were running well, but now they've hit like some speed bumps. It kind of reminds me of this when I go out to exercise. Now, I'll try to put this as an example. When I go to this gym, I got to admit it, I'm probably the kind of person you don't want to be next to because if I see you, I'm going to go up to you and say, hey, Harry, what's up? And then Harry will keep exercising. If I see Sue Edstrom there, I'll go up to Sue. 
Hey, Sue, what's up? Sue, just so you know, she's on the elliptical machine. She's got her headphones, and I have no idea what music she's listening to. She's got her headphones in, and she's dialed in. Harry, I'm told, he, he, has, he does the same thing, and he watches ESPN Sports. Now, what do I do? When I go to the gym, I try to get into the corner. You know why? I don't want anyone to bother me. And I start going to the gym, and I'm doing my elliptical machine. And I try to get there, and I'm, I don't have buds in my ear. I'm not looking at ESPN. And I'm just focused, trying to get to my goal. And I'm doing the elliptical machine. And you know what I hate the most, what I hope, and I don't think any of you do this to me, right? is people get next to me and they start talking and they start talking and then they keep talking and then they tell each other about their week and then they get on the phone and they talk some more while they're exercising and they're barely moving. They're just barely moving and you're trying to focus. You're trying to focus and you're sweating and you're thinking this, I'm trying to exercise. I mean, you're, you're trying to say with your eyes, I'm exercising, I'm sweating, I'm focused. I'm here to lose some calories. What are you doing? There's signs here that says no talking, no on you. That's what's happening here. They were off to a great start. The gospel was preached. And now all all of a sudden you hear people talking. Got to do the law. Got to be circumcised. You need good works as well. It's not just your freedom in Christ. That's what's going on here. They're being hindered. And Paul says that in verse 8, that this persuasion is not from God who calls you. And in fact, he says, these people will be punished. They're having what we call false gospels. When I first preached in Galatians chapter 1, we already put these up there. So I won't spend too much time on them. I'll just highlight a few of these. But what's a false gospel? Here's a false gospel. Because I'm saved... God wants me to be healthy and wealthy. In fact, I deserve it because I'm a good Christian. I'm a good Christian, so I deserve to be healthy and wealthy. That's a false gospel. Again, we're not going to go over all of them. Happiness, yes. God wants us all to be happy, right? He doesn't want Christians to be sad and discouraged and down on their luck. He wants us all to be happy, right? We just sang a song called Happy Day. So he wants us to be happy. So if I become a Christian and I'm saved by grace, God wants to be the happy person. No, God wants me to be holy. What about another one? I can be saved and I can keep doing the religious traditions that I've done before, whatever that might have been. Different prayers, different rituals. And Paul says that we have freedom from these false gospels. In fact, he calls this leaven. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Verse 9. Verse 10, he says, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. So he says there's judgment for false teaching for these false gospels. But if I, brothers, in verse 11, still preach circumcision, now he doesn't, but if he did, why am I still being persecuted? In other words, I am being persecuted, so I must be preaching the gospel of grace. In that case, the fence of the cross has been removed. You know why? There's many reasons why the cross is offensive. But one of the reasons is simply this, that you and I have been taught that we got to work for everything in general. I got to work for my A, got to study. Every test, I got to work for it. I want to raise at work. Um, I work for my raises. Everything in general that we do, we work for. And Paul says, that's a stumbling block. 
Because when you and I share the goodness of God and the grace of God, and we say it's all through Christ, people think, that's impossible. It's got to be grace plus good work. It's got to be grace plus a lot of prayer. It's got to be grace plus I don't murder anybody. It's got to be grace and I give to charity. It's got to be a plus. He says, no, that's a stumbling block. And Paul says, you have freedom from all these things. In verse 12, he says, he really, now you got to transfer yourself back to the first century in the ancient Near East, especially in the Old Testament context. And again, think of yourselves belonging to the Jewish ethnicity nation. So to make his point even stronger, he's already talked about circumcision. He says, guess what? These false teachers, these people are teaching false gospel. He says this in verse 12. I wish those who unsettled you, you Galatians, that they would emasculate themselves. And we're thinking, whoa, he's talking about love. Hold on, I think, what's, what's going on? How can he talk about love in, in, in the same context and everything like that? But what he's trying to say is simply this. If you think circumcision will, and it represents the whole law, but if you think circumcision is going to save you, don't just do what? Part of the law, do the whole law, right? And again, I know, I realize it's a graphic illustration, but that's what he's saying here. If you people, followers of the Old Testament, you Jews who say, I am a child of Abraham, for those males, if you are circumcised on the eighth day, well, you might as well go all the way then. Emasculate yourself. Become eunuchs. He's exaggerating to make the point. If you're going to do part of the law, you better do all the law. That's what he's trying to say. He's using a hyperbole. He's highlighting the seriousness of preaching and living this false gospel. But all this freedom from bondage, all this freedom from false teaching, all this freedom leads to the key point we want to end here is freedom to love. Because you and I have been set free, we have the freedom to love. For you were called to freedom, brothers, verse 13. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, verse 15. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you, not, that you are not consumed by one another. And notice here it says we're called to freedom. You know who calls you to freedom? Is, yeah, we're exhorted in the scriptures, but you know who's really calling you? It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is prompting you because you're free now to love. You don't do it because you have to do it. But now the Spirit is prompting you for compassion, to reach out, to do things you've never done before, to take risks and reach out to strangers perhaps even. Why? Because you have the freedom to love. It's this inner calling. It's not because you want, it's not because you have to do it. It's because you want to do it. See, we had this heart of stone, but now it's a heart of flesh. And so the question we're here, that we need to answer is, who is God calling us to love? Is there a neighbor, a family member? Who is God, that person you see every week at the cafe? And notice he says, this is not an opportunity to sin. See, it's so easy for us to think, now that all my sins are forgiven, I can just do whatever I want, right? I can do whatever I want. But Paul says, no, because the Spirit is in your life, you're not going to want to just do anything. You're going to want to love and serve. Serve one another in love, he says in verse 13. Why? To restore people to wholeness. 
We've been called to serve other people so that maybe they will find freedom and wholeness. And he says this fulfills the law to love your neighbor. Love must have truth, however. We can't lie or sugarcoat things to make people feel better. Sin is sin. I think another thing we talk about with love is love and boundaries. We can't allow people just to do whatever they want to do. Do whatever they please. Boundaries give us a standard. Boundaries give us protection. I think when we say to love our neighbors, there's another thing we want to consider. Love and accountability. What we reap is because of what we sow. And what we sow is what we weep. Love and accountability. So when Paul talks about love, he's not just saying love anything, love anyone. I think there's, we should love in truth. We should love in, with boundaries. And we love with accountability. And as we get to the end of the text, I want to consider some application before we end with the story. The first application is simply this. Some of us this morning, and we go to the next slide. Some of us this morning, even though we're free, we're still putting on our glasses. And quite honestly, we feel like we can't break free. Simple application for you. We did this a little earlier. Pray for freedom. Whatever you're struggling with, pray for deliverance. Ask God to send his spirit to liberate you for freedom. But you know what? Don't keep it to yourself. Share. Share with someone. Share with your small group leader. Share with a pastor. Share with a Christian friend or brother. Don't do this by yourself. Many of us fit in this category. But another application is simply this, is that it's so easy to believe in these false gospels because they sound so good. God wants me to be happy. God wants me to be healthy. God wants me to be wealthy. God just, you know, I've done all these good things, so God, I'm entitled to this. If that's what you've been believing because you're a, quote, good Christian, you got to reject that. God's not concerned about our happiness as much as he's concerned with our holiness. And the final thing we just talked about this. God's calling us to love. But I don't want to think that we just say anything, that everything is okay. This sin is fine. Oh, it doesn't matter. I love you. If I love you, I just accept you. No, not necessarily. There's truth in love. There's boundaries with love. And there's accountability. Perhaps one of those are stronger in your life. I opened this sermon by telling you where I'd like to have been on Saturday. Now I want to tell you another story. It's by a family by the name of Coffin. Levi and Catherine Coffin. They lived in Newport, now Fountain City, Indiana. The family came, from in, came to Indiana from North Carolina, a slave state, in 1826. Upon his arrival, Levi opened a merchandise store. You're wondering, okay. Whose profits subsidize his anti-slavery activities. He writes this. In the winter of 1826 and 27, fugitives began, began to come to our house. He was called the so-called president. His house was 
the Grand Central Station of a network of secret routes and safe houses that moved slaves from bondage in the South to freedom. The article continues, it was a prime location for this place because there's three routes that converge there in this city. Slaves typically crossed the territory through the Ohio River at Madison, Jeffersonville, or Cincinnati. This family lived there for two decades. And the article ends with this. In these two decades, the coffins helped an estimated 2,000 slaves go north, put their lives at stake, and help them find freedom. And I want to say that the church is not a building, although we meet in this room and it's, it's nice. The church is not a building, although we, we, this, is a, this is a great building. This is a great facility, an awesome campus. We meet here. But the church is when you go out and you love your neighbors. The church is when you're at work loving those, your colleagues. The church is when you play with the kids and you do your carpools and you coach your little league teams. The church is when you reach out to those who are poor and we serve them. When we do these home beautifications, we do these impact days, when we give away free bikes and do the oil changes, that's the church. And my hope for all of us, and we are making inroads, by the way, not because we're bragging, absolutely not. But wouldn't it be great if Bridges started to get a reputation that people found freedom from their bondage here, liberated not just from sin, although that's the most important thing, but liberated from the different challenges of their life. Wouldn't it be great? Not because we're trying to shine our faith, not we're trying to shine our church, that's not what I'm saying, but if we became God's people, liberated from our own bondages to serve in love and justice, to reach out and serve our community like we're trying to do, that this would be a hub of freedom as well. That's my challenge to all of us in my prayer. Let's close. God, I love learning about freedom in history. Lord, I take my freedom politically for granted, and I know spiritually I take it for granted too. Shame on me. But I think about the bookends of these two stories, I think of just, wow, how important freedom is. And our freedom in Jesus Christ is even more important. And Lord, we come because... We're slaves of certain sins. We confess them to you. Liberate us from our bondage so that we are free to love, free to serve. We want bridges to be a place. We want bridges to be a place where people can find spiritual freedom and freedom from the different other evil systems of the world as well. Thank you for setting your spirit so that we will love. We will love. And yes, Lord, we are desperate for you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Thanks so much for listening to the Bridges Podcast. Check out Bridges Community Church website at bridgescc.org for more information. 